podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger Podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along. It's another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast, County Cricket Weekly. And delighted to say today I am joined by former Yorkshire batsman and current Essex coach, Anthony McGrath. Anthony, how are you? Very well, thank you, James. Yourself? Very good, thank you very much. Good to see you and good to have you with us. And uh, as always, we have Knuckle Pandey and the fan badges as well. Knuckle, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, James. Keeping uh, keeping myself busy and occupied and uh, just come off watching... Fairly disappointing series with Sri Lanka. With Sri Lanka, looking forward to Pakistan uh, starting this starting this week. Maybe talk a bit about that Sri Lanka series in, in just a second as well. Um, and we have Phil and Mark. Phil, how are you? You, you all right, Phil? We need to start off as we mean to go on with this one. You were supposed to be on last week's podcast. You I failed was. to show up, and therefore we agreed at the start of this podcast you're going to give us twenty press ups. I just did them. Oh, you, you, you missed see, it. You so I sweet. just did them there, yeah, just and, off screen. And Mags, Phil is a, a Essex badger, so uh, he's one of your oh, guys. I'm very, very, very pleased to meet you today, mate. No, you too. And uh, on the darker side, <laughs> we have Mark, who is uh, currently I think, in a Premier Inn, is it? You're sitting there drinking red wine by the looks of it. Yeah, I'm in the luxurious uh, Media City Premier Inn, so we've all the celebrities in Media City for the uh, <laughs> game at Old Trafford. So uh, got rained on yesterday, but I was well prepared. So I had a three-hour session in the gym and then an Ando's, because you've got to be prepared in Manchester. And uh, got to Slate Grace guys this morning, so we didn't think we are going to have any more play. But saw Jimmy Anderson this afternoon get his thousandth wicket and his best bowling figures. So a tremendous afternoon, an historic afternoon. So even beats... Even beat Bowling Essex out for 23 in 2000 and whatever we did then. So, uh, yeah, a couple of good days and uh, well, let's hope we can get some fine over the next couple of days and get the game finished. Well, I'm glad you got yourself comfy and uh, keep sipping on that red wine. Uh, Max, I mean, that the aforementioned Jimmy Anderson there, who's obviously taking seven wickets today, there's a, a picture... It's probably quite dear to you when on your England debut you stood alongside him. Yeah, I normally get sent every year when it comes up about uh, Jimmy still playing and most people say, who's that guy stood next to Jimmy Anderson? So, uh, um, yeah, get quite a bit of ribbing for that one. But um, no, I mean, Jim's been fab- fabulous, hasn't he? I mean, today was a fantastic achievement, but he's still going strong and he looks uh, as fit as ever. I was I was going to try and phrase this politely, but you're now the old fossil of a coach and he's still going. How's, how's that happen? I know, unbelievable. I remember the, the day we made our debut and I think, you know, Jimmy was so young then, but even to think he's still going as a fast bowler, someone who's open bowly overs that he did, it, it really is uh, a remarkable effort. And he's no real at the moment showing signs of any slowing down I think he looks after himself obviously fabulously well but his skill levels are just absolutely sensational yeah on the, on the longevity point I was doing some digging today uh, since his 35th birthday he's averaging 19 in first class cricket and since he turned 30 486 wickets at 22 there's a very good argument that he's actually better now than he's ever been when you see his run up I mean when I was watching him today his, his economy and his run up I mean it's just compared to when he started it's just so so economical the way he runs up. He could bowl like that till he's 45. When he started, he used to tuck his head into his armpit as he came over or yeah, whatever. It, it was a remarkable bowling action. And when I first saw him, I thought, well, 
these are not going to last very long with action like that. How that, the type of an, uh, analytical skills that have got me on here. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that shows you why you're one of our family. Yeah, exactly. That, that cutting edge analysis that's kept you kept you going on here. Mags, we've had uh, previous guests on this podcast during the season and because you were croaky one day and you had to rearrange and, and we've kind of got you back in today, there's actually two questions being left for you. Darren Stevens right. was the original person that was on the week before you and he left you a question. And uh, Ryan Higgins was on last week and he's left you a question as well. We'll go with uh, Steve O's first. His was, are you the Yorkshire snipper? Now, I've heard <laughs> you being asked this many times and you always kind of like, you try and distance yourself from it. But you're in the um, in the crosshairs for this, I think. I'm, I'm in the mix. I'm always in the conversation, but I, I've said many times it, it wasn't me. I mean, it was um, way back in the 90s and uh, yeah, a couple of seasons where socks were getting cut and ties were getting cut. And um, because I was one of the youngest, I think that's why I was prime suspect. I'll believe you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can say no more than that, James. <laughs> Ryan Higgins last week, he um, we were talking a little bit about the 100. He's going to be playing for Welsh Fire uh, in the 100 competition. Obviously, there's, I mean, there's a lot of talk about it. We don't, we've been through all of the, the rights and wrongs of the 100 in, in the past already. But Ryan's question for you was, how are you going to cope as the Essex coach with the players going away for the 100, but you still having to keep Essex on track? Um, well, we're one of the teams that hasn't been affected too much. I think we've uh, Dan Lawrence and then Sam Cook's just been picked up in the wild card. So, I mean, 50 over comps, actually one of my favourite competitions. I like playing in it and, you know, I enjoy coaching in it too. So we've still got a fairly intact squad, really. I think, you know, a couple of the younger guys will get, get a chance as well. But, um, you know, some of the other teams have lost eight, nine players. So it is going to be interesting what the competition's like. But I think one thing is for certain that, you know, we'll, we'll see the emergence of certainly some young players that fans maybe not have seen before. Oh, on that basis, that leaves you in quite a strong position, then, does it? Does that mean your favourites for this uh, 50 over comp? <laughs> I don't know about that. I've not seen the, the bookies' odds or anything. But yeah, I think there's a couple of teams similar to us who've, who've not had much damage. But um, I, I think with the young players coming in, there's no baggage there, there's no scars. And you can see when they come into the T20s these days that, that you know they're not scared at all to express themselves. So I think it could be a real interesting tournament this season. You, you talk about young players coming into the side. I mean, going on along at the moment alongside the cricket is the Euros I know you're a big football fan as well I'm sure you've been watching the games and that, that's a really good example isn't it how some youngsters come in there with no scars from previous disappointments against the likes of Germany and are able to then um, just go out there with no fear and uh, we've seen that a little bit haven't we already last year with the uh, Bob Willis trophy some youngsters got blooded uh, and that's happening in cricket at the moment really yeah and I think it's just getting that mixture right of experience and and youth really and um you know, you don't want to be playing all young players because they've got to learn on the, on the job a little bit as well. But when they come in, the, the confidence is, is still fully intact. So if they can get away to a good start, whether it's with a bat or the ball, you know, the you can see the young players stand out like beacons, really. When they come in and do well, the, the, the confidence levels just go through the roof. Final question from me at the start of this podcast. I'll hand over to Cross to, to Knuckle. You've got, we talk about the youngsters there. We've got you've got one of the elder statesmen of English cricket as well at Essex in Alistair Cook, who's obviously achieved all kinds of greatness in the game. Sir Alistair, indeed. Do you, do you, actually, before I ask you the question, do you call him Sir? Well, the lads rib him, yeah. They, they, they call him, uh, I think the first time he came, they had the little red carpet out for him when he came back into the dressing room. But um, it's been a while now, so I think he's just back to chef again. <laughs> and I, I saw a tweet, there was a, 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 an Indian 
Indian um, fellow travelled, I, I don't know how he did it, across the world during COVID, but um, he was outside of Chelmsford, I think, waiting for Alice to cook one day with uh, just trying to oh. basically get a glimpse of him. Do, do you know if you ever saw him? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know about that, to be honest. No. But um, obviously it gets a lot of attention where, wherever he goes. But I think, you know, just going back to his, you know, like Jimmy Anderson longevity, I, I think when he finished international cricket, I didn't think we'd see him for this long. And it just shows how much he still enjoys the game, Alistair, and how much he trains and loves playing at Essex. So hopefully we'll see him for, for another couple of seasons at least. You, you talk about the ribbing that he gets, and that's that's healthy in a dressing room, isn't it? But I'd imagine that when Sir Alistair Cook starts speaking in a team meeting, people listen. Oh, definitely. I mean, you can't buy his experience or what he's been through. So uh, he's not one of the loudest in the dressing room by any means, but when he does say something, it's certainly worth listening to. And I've said many times as coach, it's not just the runs he gets for us on the pitch. It's what he does at training, you know, in the background. Um, certainly as, as a coach, he's someone to lean on and, and get his experience too. So having him around is just, uh, you know, huge for everyone at the club. Who knows wins? Download our app right now from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store and play against your friends with bragging rights and real money on the line. Who knows wins? Put your money where your mates are. Who knows wins in a league of their own? Yeah, hi, Anthony. You've built, a, or you and you and the group have built a very successful Essex team in all formats over the last few years, and you were talking about the team dynamics. There's something that came up after the end of the, or right at the moment of the winning the Bob Willis Trophy. The the beer and the champagne get sprayed on the balcony. Young Fredo's cushy is on the outside of the of the group, finding himself having to having to dodge dodge beer. And while other counties, in, including one that you and James um, know well, have have got some very public issues going on with their with their handling of 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 players of colour, Essex came out pretty strongly after that. What has changed in terms of the culture around around celebrations, I suppose, to make sure that people don't have to feel left out or feel or, or can can celebrate in a way that they're not compromising themselves? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the incident we had at Lords was was pretty clumsy, really, and we didn't want to, you know, offend for us or, or anyone. So I think now it's just, you know, trying to use a bit of common sense, really. I mean, the, the big thing, you know, we have worked on at Essex is involving the local communities, all the different areas, trying to get people... Uh, to come and play from all different backgrounds. So, um, you know, we, we certainly want to encourage people to feel, you know, safe and, and really to, you know, do what they want to do and not just conform to what everyone else is doing. So I think it's important you speak about these issues. But when that happened, I think as a as a club, we wanted to come out and firstly say sorry if we'd offended anyone, but but said in this day and age, it, it was a it was a mistake. Uh, yeah, I've seen some talk of not just in, in cricket using I don't know some kind of non-alcoholic sparkling something. So you still get the look of the spray and all that, like it's an F. Like, I think they do this in F one uh, sometimes. You, you something that isn't real champagne. Yeah, I think one of the pro- because of the COVID protocols as well. Normally at Lords is so much space and and. Um, the photographers couldn't get down to the players and we had to have it on the, the balcony at Lords. and for those who have not been there it is a very small balcony so we was in trouble really for the social distancing as well so um, when you put the alcohol on top of that obviously it doesn't look great so maybe um, that example used there could could be used in the future or you know they might just stop the, the alcohol celebration full stop I know it's been kind of part of the, the history and celebration and traditions but nowadays you know do you really need it? We saw with England, I think Mo and Ali and Adel Rashid had to move away from the group when they were celebrating. Was it the end of the World Cup? I forget which tournament it was, but... Yeah, I think so. 
that was a moment that you'd want to be in as a player. You wouldn't want to have to move. Certainly seems to me that, you know, the the visuals of that and spraying some booze around isn't worth not celebrating with your whole team. I, th- I think the way, the way that England have got it set up, because that World Cup thing wasn't the only time they did that. I think they, they've kind of got the team shot with Moeen and Adel in the picture and they all have the little celebration there and then they move away for the spraying of the champagne. So they're kind of involved in the main bit, but then kind of leave the scene. My recollection of that World Cup, though, is that Moeen only just got out of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they literally to, they- diving out of the way. It was It wasn't impressive. No, there's a photo of them sort of body swerving out of the way. It wasn't. It wasn't a great look. Moving on from from that to kind of on-field cricket stuff. And in, in this in this year, you're back in County Championship action later this week. Uh, Derbyshire up at up at Chesterfield. I mean, firstly, we were seeing a, this is sort of outground week, almost a festival week in a lot of a lot of places. How much do you enjoy the the festivals and the outgrounds? And how much of a what are the specific opportunities and challenges and, and joys of, of playing outside of the main grounds? Well, our game's been moved to Derbyshire. Oh, um, has it? Because of the COVID stuff, yeah. So we were due to play at Chesterfield, but I've always enjoyed Chesterfield. It's a small, compact ground. The crowd are, are almost on top of you, whereas the you know the the test grounds are, are so spread out, really. So it is a very intimate you know crowd and game there. But I still enjoy going to the the outgrounds. You know, you look at Cheltenham College this week. They play in Scarborough. Um, some great memories from the from the outgrounds. I guess one of the downsides is the pitches can be so different. Um, you know, so you the planning you do if you go and play at Old Trafford or Headingley or Lords, you pretty much know what you're going to get wicket-wise. Whereas the outground, because they're not controlled by the counties, it can leave you a little bit exposed if you call wrong. So um, you've just got to be a little bit careful on on that type of thing. And the the facilities can be you know a little bit removed from from what you'd normally get at the county ground. We like nets or the warm up stuff. So I'd say they're probably two of the negatives. I remember talking to Sam Northeast about when he and Ajinkya Rahane were sort of a big partnership. It was Rahane's first game for Hampshire was on the Isle of Wight, um, which I can imagine must have been, you know, he didn't grow up in particularly rich circumstances, but I don't think he's played on the ground like that for, for a while. And then on the, you know, I will ask the obligatory question, are you enjoying the conference system? Uh, and what are your ambitions for, you've got, you've got seriously realistic ambitions of making it into the into the top two and making it into the, into the first division of the final stage. Yeah, I mean, I said at the start, I wasn't a big fan of the conference system. Um, I just think the divisions have worked really well. I think it's been competitive in both ones. But I must say the games we've been involved in have, have all been tough. It's been a good standard. And I think we'll probably have to review it at the end of the season because I think the 12 teams that don't make uh, Division 1, you know, it'll be interesting to see if the competitive side drops off a little bit. And I think the point system, how you carry points through, probably needs to be looked at because it doesn't feel right. But again, we'll be able to see towards the end of uh the season, yeah, you know, we don't really know how any of that's going to work at this stage. <laughs> so it's a little, I suppose, it's quite a hard, hard question to answer. But sorry, just by the way, you mentioned Ryan Higgins earlier. Uh, Ryan Higgins, congratulations, Ryan Higgins. But had his, um, he and his partner had their first child today, which is why Ryan Higgins hasn't been available for this for this game. Which is... he, he, he didn't mention that last week, did he? <laughs> no, he was very kept that very uh, under under wraps. But uh, congratulations uh, to to Ryan if he's if if he's listening. But yeah, the final final question is: Is it still very much the case that Essex are looking to compete on all fronts, potentially try and win all three trophies if possible? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the that's the plan each year. It'll be interesting that after this group of games, we've obviously got a week off. You know, we'll know mathematically what we've got to do to try and get through to Division One. Uh, we're still in a decent position, T20, and as I said, we're looking forward to the 50-over competition. So the next couple of weeks will pretty much define our season. I think we'll know whether we're in the shake-up for the T20, and obviously, if we can win at Derby and results 
go our way as well. We hopefully will be in, in Division 1 come September. Max, when you when you made the transfer between being a player and a coach, A, how did you find that? Because it's kind of like a slightly different dynamic in, in terms of how you are in the dressing room and what have you. And the second part of that question, when you took over from Chris Silverwood, obviously there was already success there at Essex. Did you feel the pressure of having to kind of follow on from him? Well, firstly, on the, the playing side, I think my last couple of years, I kind of got interested in the coaching side. So we're helping the, the, the batters at Yorkshire. And I had about a year out of the game, kind of came back in. So I think that helped me really, having that little break away. Because uh, I think if you go straight from a dressing room with lads you play with straight into coaching, it, it can be a, a, diff, a difficult dynamic. So I think that helped. And then within two years, as you say, I were down at Essex. So, um, you know, the two years I worked under Silvers was fantastic. As you said, we we got promotion and then won Division One. Um, and then it happened pretty quickly that he moved to, to England. So... Probably a month before that, I was wasn't thinking of being head coach, if I'm honest. And then um, I got offered the role, and yeah, I mean the the say, I suppose it's the worst time to take over when you've just won the title. But I looked at it a different way because I I knew we still had a good team. I knew we had good young players coming through. You know, I knew what the players wanted to do, which was to try and continue the success. So you know, I think I, I was starting from a good place, really. Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com, quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com, together we save balls. Mark, come to you next. I'm going to leave Phil to last for the Essex loving. Um, but uh, Mark, any questions for Mags? You need to unmute yourself, mate, because I've muted you. I, I, I try and mute all Lancashire um, supporters on this podcast. Yeah, I've, I've got a question for you, Anthony. It, uh, in, terms of being, in terms of being a coach, you're, you obviously were a player when coaching and coaches really came into the game in the, at their forefront in the kind of ni- late uh, mid-90s, late-90s. And I suppose there were less coaches then and maybe a simpler game. Do you think being a coach has become far more complicated and difficult over the years with so many different formats, so many different pressures on players, social media, those aspects? Is it becoming a, an all-consuming and very kind of difficult job, more difficult than in the past? Um yeah, I think there's probably more coaches now and support staff than has ever been. But I mean, from a personal point of view, having played, you're right what you say. I think that the more you can sometimes put into a player's brain, the more confused they can get. So really just keeping it very simple, keeping the message simple and almost letting the players map out their own way. And of course, you're going to have conversations and challenge players, but really it is you know, they get to that level because they're good players. So I think sometimes a coach can, let me put it the best way, he can probably, you know, want to stamp his authority on the team rather than let the players grow. So I think as long as you've you've got a coaching setup which allows players to breathe and develop, I think it's fine. But in terms of the pressures of the job, I think they're they're pretty similar to to what they've been because if you're in charge or a coach, you, you normally get hired or fired on, on results really. So um, that always comes with the territory. 
What about all those funky techniques that are coming into batsmen at the moment? Like you getting criticised in terms of what a coach is doing. <laughs> like lots of commentators like Steve James and Michael Averton saying, what on earth is happening to kind of technical coaching in the UK? You know, what's going on? These off stump stances and all that kind of stuff. What's your take on that? So, of course, the, the games now are so different. 2022 four-day cricket, you know, every year it gets further and further apart. And I think younger players, they're growing up probably playing more 2020 stuff than when I started, which was all red ball. You know, it was technique and batting as long as you could. Whereas now guys want to hit four and sixes from ball one. So I think that obviously needs a different technique. Then you see the the sweeping, reversing, the, the uh, scoop shots, and you're almost gripping it with your bottom hand rather than your top hand. Um, so I think that's why you see a lot of commentators comment about, you know, leg side players or the bottom hand coming in or, you know, not standing on the off stump and accessing the offside. So it's unfortunately just, I guess, part of the era, but I still think, you know, there's not one way to play the game. It's all about how many runs you get or how many wickets you get. It doesn't matter what technique you have. If you're successful doing it, if you look at someone like Steve Smith, he's a great example. You would never teach someone to bat like that. But you know, it wasn't too long ago when England couldn't get him out all summer. So it's not the techniques. It's just, I think, working what works for you, really. The technical stuff, what um, probably was used 20, 30 years ago, even longer, uh, you don't see in, in many young players nowadays. Do you think their concentration levels are different than when you played, though? Because we can talk about technique, but actually, you know, the ability to bat long periods seems to be something that doesn't seem to be there anymore. No, I think the game's faster now, but I think everything in life is it's instant success. People want things straight away. I mean, you know, you'd normally, a four-day game, there'd be always draws, lots and lots of draws, where now there's there are always results. And I think it, not just batsmen, but bowlers as well, batsmen. Uh, you know, I think David Warner, probably one of the first, you know, if it were pitched up in a test match, you'd whack it back over your head for four or six. Whereas, you know, someone had bat 300 balls to get 100. Now they're, they're nearly getting it at a run a ball or certainly, you know, a decent lick. So um, I think you're right on the concentration levels. But I think teams now want to try and force the game rather than sit in. And, and I see that as a coach. Sometimes you get frustrated with that. You know, as a bowling team, if you can bowl maidens nowadays, a batsman's going to give you a chance. Whereas probably when I was starting, you mentioned the, the players who were playing back then. They might, you might be 250 for two in the whole day. And that was the norm. You know, that was the scoring rates. Um, so I just think, again, it's a, a bit of the times and it's a bit out, as I've said, with the introduction of white ball cricket. People want to score now. People just want to score runs. It made me laugh there when Mark said, uh, in your day kind of thing, it wasn't that long ago you were playing really, was it? Uh, things have moved on very fast though in that, that period, haven't they, in, in terms of cricket. Max, in, in terms of your own coaching, what you brought to your your role with Essex and obviously initially at Yorkshire, I imagine it's like everything. You kind of, you look at the people that have coached you. We had Kevin Sharp on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I know you've got a lot of admiration for Kevin, but you take the good bits and the bad bits out of people. Probably we, we don't dwell on the bad bits today, but the, the good bits from people and then try and then make it yours absolutely yeah I think Kevin is um, you know someone who helped me massively in my career but you know he was the batting coach at Yorkshire so I certainly you know took tips from him but people like Darren Lehman who was um, at Yorkshire for a long time didn't coach me but he was captain and a big influence and then Wayne Clark who you remember James from early 2000s I think he was Wayne Clark was probably the first coach I came across who spent a lot of time getting to know the players relationships you know trust uh, rather than a technical coach you know but I think mentioned before about you know coaches back in the day were, were probably more technique getting the nets work harder 
that kind of uh, mantra. Whereas Wayne Clark was a little bit ahead of his time. He was really um, someone who would challenge you mentally, uh, talk a lot about method, your process for games rather than technique. You know, the players really enjoyed him because he had that personal, interpersonal skills, which which we probably hadn't had before at Yorkshire at that time. That, that's something Sharpie's very big on as well, isn't it? The kind of the relationship between the players and the trust that you have. You're saying actually a couple of weeks ago that, you know, he, he had the um, sort of private conversations with players that he didn't then report back to the coaches because that was between him and the player. And that's important, isn't it? To kind of respect people's kind of privacy on certain things, I guess, as well. Of course, and that's why, you know, you when you're picking your coaches or group of coaches, you want that kind of relationship with the players. You know, I don't want everything to come back to me as head coach because I don't need to know certain things. If, but, you know, Players are human beings as well. They're, they have, you know, shortfalls. They have, you know, times when they're down or feeling, you know, low on confidence. So it's just about building that back up, really. And also giving them a belief that you're not just going to toss them aside after a few poor innings. You're going to support them and, you know, it's, it's a bit of a journey. So I think, you know, them kind of relationships are really important. Let's move on then to Essex versus Essex Phil. Questions for Mags. Settling boys loving starts. You right, Mags? Uh, How you doing? I'm, I'm all right, thanks, mate. So, uh, Mark's had enough. He's gone already. Don't take it personally, Phil. <laughs> I'm, I should be used to it by now. So, first of all, uh, I think we can all agree uh, that congratulations are due for the upgrading county back in 2006. <laughs> right. I'm going to find the mute button in there for you. <laughs> Moving to Essex, are, are we punching above our weight with the success we've had since 2016? Or is this, bear in mind, we were a Division Two team uh, in, in 2016, the size of the ground, the finances. Are we punching above our weight? Is this sustainable? Um, I think we are, in a way, because you, you mentioned a few things there. The, probably the budget, the, the ground, the facilities. It probably, you know, everyone in, involved in Essex probably needs, we, we need to do something to the ground and the facilities. I think that's a non-negotiable. But in terms of is it sustainable, I think the one thing we've tried to do, as you will be fully aware of, is is finding our own local guys, people from the, the local area, local leagues. Uh, and I think if you get that, you get that loyalty and consistency and players want to stay around. I think we've 16 hour, 21 or 22 have all come through the system, which is an amazing thing for a club. And I think as long as we can continue to do that, and that's not obviously guaranteed I think you know with enough good players to still be competitive um, it's getting tougher I think you know this success we've had the last five six years has been amazing but everyone is really determined to try and keep it going as long as possible um, in terms of those new so young players coming through we've seen uh, sort of Michael Pepper coming to the team this year and that 92 he got against Durham really stood out what made you pick him for that game what was it that uh, made you select him for that in those circumstances because he was going to get 92 well, for <laughs> psychic mags he'd been getting runs in the second team obviously Dan Lawrence had gone away to England so he'd been in good form he's played a little bit before in the past one or two games but we just thought watching him in pre-season he got a, a good 70 or 80 against Lancashire in pre-season uh, and he was in really good form and again he's, he's I know we've had COVID and people haven't played as much but you could see his development really and we just thought he was ready to to come in of course you always need a little bit of luck with selection but um, on that particular work here at Durham you know he was, he was the best batsman on show and, and ultimately I think that that's what won us the game really that first innings of his, his 92 it was a magnificent knock so we, we've got Michael coming through, we've got Aaron Najjar, who's in the T20 team, coming through, youngster himself. Who's the next in the conveyor belt? Who's the next one you've got your eye on? Who's um, he going to inflate this evening? 
<laughs> well, we've got a few actually. I mean, uh, Will Butterman's obviously started in the T20 this year. Josh Rymel has scored runs in the second team. Feroz Kushi played last year, but hasn't had much opportunity this year. Uh, Jack Plum's made an impact in, in T20. Benny Allison's only played two matches. Ishing uh, Kayleigh uh, has played in the second team and done well. So there's five or six for you who yeah. I think have got a really good chance. Um, You've shared just that about... around, Megs. Well done. You're a proper <laughs> diplomat there, aren't you? <laughs> I think it's just about picking the right time to to put them in. And But they've certainly all got ability. I mean, we've we've seen it in practice. And sometimes the hardest thing is taking it into the games. But we, we certainly know they can all play. That's That's for sure. Come back to you in a second, Phil, but you, you're a Man United fan, Max, aren't you? And there was that famous uh, Alan Hansen quote, wasn't there? You can't win anything with kids. Sir Alex threw everybody into the team, didn't they? And, and did win with kids. Um, is there ever a temptation when you've got a good batch to kind of maybe play too many? Or uh, It can be, but I think that the Man United team you were talking about there did have some good senior players. They had Steve Bruce, Palace, De Cantona. I think Robson were coming towards the end, Michael. So it's just getting the mix right. As I said, we've, we've got Alistair Cook, we've got Simon Armour, we've had Peter Siddle, Tom Wesley, Ryan Tenderscarter. So there's some serious players and also some serious experience. So when you're putting in four or five youngsters, it is easier then because they're leading them on the pitch as well. So um, it does make it easier for a coach to do that. Are you still a Manchester United fan or is it now Southend? <laughs> no, of course I am, yeah. I'm allowed to say it now. In terms of this season, Max, it's um, in both the county championship and the T20. It was it's been a bit mixed. With there yeah. appears to be a a bit of a build of momentum coming into to the next few phases. And you said it was a a, a key period. What, what do you think caused the the mixed results? Is it taking time to settle? Is it a motivation issue? It must be hard to keep teams motivated, particularly when the success has, has come. Because once they're started, it appears to um, be back to the same Essex. Of, a, of seasons gone by? Yeah, I mean, I think we've been victims of our own success because we've we've, ha- we've hadly lost in four-day cricket and inevitably, you know, you're going to do it at some point, but, you know, teams are allowed to play well against you and, and you know, we've we've seen, I mean, from my first couple of years at Essex, I think when we played teams, I thought they, would, they were going to beat us easily, whereas now I think, you know, we're, we're one of the teams they're wanting to, to beat. So every game... Is is bloody tough. Um, I the, just think the Durham was, games look like that. The, the Durham yeah. games in particular, they really seem yeah. to rise to the occasion of taking on the champions. Yeah, and I think going away from home, we've seen teams almost trying to stop Simon Armour. So wickets were either playing on short boundaries or green ones, which are not going to turn, which is going to happen if you have a bowler like him. And then I think we've just had a couple of games where individuals haven't performed our bigger players. So we lost two back-to-back games in the championship and then we've come back strong. And then T20, um, we started poorly. One thing we, we talked about, but we had you know nine back-to-back championship games games and then straight into white ball and a lot of our team you know play both formats so it was a little bit of struggle to get up to speed but again once we've got going I think we've won four out of the last five so it's been frustrating but I think um, a couple of them points I alluded to there is probably the reason for it. You were assistant to Chris Silverwood I think you may have answered this already and I, I wondered whether there was some type of succession plan you're in when he goes you step up um, was there anything like that if that was the case is there a succession plan when you move on to the England job? Because it, there seems to have been a consistency of approach and it seems to be working. 
The Chris one, as you mentioned, there wasn't a plan. I mean, it, it came out of the blue for Chris with the England bowling role. Um, so I didn't envisage myself being head coach for a few years before that. So I kind of got offered the role and, and then took it. But I wouldn't say there's a sex, the succession plan in place, as in X is going to do the job if I if I were to leave. But what we what we try and do is you know have good people and good coaches and also XX SX players around now. Mark Patini, Jake Mickleborough, you know Graham Napier's been in. We we are trying to get people who know the club, as you mentioned there, how the club runs and how we can sustain it. So I think you need the good people involved. And and as you well know, we'll have we've got Gucci, we've got Keith Fletcher, Ronnie Arani, really good people who know the club. So you know they're always looking at how we can get that extra mile out of out of the club really have you worked out how to turn the volume down on Irani yet <laughs> <laughs> no but if you know you must tell me yeah I'll try and work it out and one last thing obviously Sam Cook's gone off today just a reminder that if you need someone to chuck some right arm filth down I'm available Max I'll get got you got my best figures off. two weekends ago best figures two for 37 we, we never we never asked you about that actually folks usually at the start of the podcast I ask you about how terrible your cricket's been but you seem to be um, on the upturn well I mean I, let's not pretend Mags hasn't noticed clearly <laughs> being an Essex boy he knows what my figures are and yeah <laughs> I, 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 I bowled eight overs which was an achievement in its own uh, on its own two weeks ago and got two for 37 Elvis getting tonked for three so I was quite pleased that's a, that's a good effort I'll get your number off James and give you a ring for the 50 Cheers, I'll, I'll, I'll keep the shoulder warm don't worry <laughs> he's, he's on the Essex radar then you mentioned and Kevin Sharp also mentioned the importance of players being able to go to coaches and coaching stuff with problems in, in an open and honest manner and not hiding stuff because they think they're going to get dropped if they bring if they bring something up or they're going to be looked at negatively by their coach now you mentioned and Kevin also mentioned the, the importance of having kind of buffers and having having that support network so the coach hasn't having to do everything your your mate silvers is now doing both the head coach and the head selector role with with england i don't know how well you can you can answer them have you that that seems like quite a difficult role to to do both of those things and also potentially is there a danger that it could leave players in a slightly odd position where they they want to go to the coach with something but they're also thinking hang on he's also the selector um yeah i mean it's a, it is a big change for, for chris in that respect but i guess the other way you could look at it is he's in control of who's playing rather than uh he gets the the 12 who who the selectors have, have in the past selected but i think there's a, enough good people around england as well where players get supported more than ever these days so i i don't think there'd be too much hesitation from the players of speaking up about certain problems uh, i certainly wouldn't think so anyway my role at essex i'm I pick the team along with the captain. So I think you mentioned it there. It's just about being honest with people. I think if you can look someone in the eye and have a conversation, you know, sometimes I might not like the answer, but I think if you show empathy, if you show, you know, respect to the players and and speak to them in the right way and and explain why you're doing certain things, whether that's training or selection or whatever it may be. I think um, if you've picked the right characters for your team, I think you you can um, still have a good relationship. When you're telling someone that they that they were in, let's say they were in last week or last season, and they're not in now, or someone was hoping to make that step up but doesn't, are you proactively telling them this is what you need to work on? Are you waiting for them to to ask? No, I think you always let them know what they need to do to get in the team. Um, I think that one clarifies the decision, but two, it just gives them a little extra motivation. You know, you might need to do X or Y, or you know, next 
couple of games in the second team. I want you to work on on this. So I think you've always got to give someone a way into the team. And sometimes it's a tough one because you've got 15 lads who all deserve to play. So it might be sometimes rotation, but you know, every player wants to play. So they're going to be disappointed if they're not. So I think, again, it's just, as I mentioned, just try and be as clear and honest as you can. I mean, that communication around rotation is something that Chris Silverwood is having to deal with a lot at the moment with England. I think we're coming out of that phase now as we build towards this series against India and the preparations for and the T20 World Cup and then the and then the, and then then the Ashes. But that would have been, it didn't always go well with the communication around the, not with the rotation per se, but with the communication around it to the players and to the fans and arguably cost heads Smith is his his job. I mean, you particularly during during COVID, have you had those those conversations of a player would say to you, "I'm fit and I'm ready to play and I'm um, and I'm I'm feeling good," but you're having to whether on a case of trying to get someone else in or or if it's a if it's something that the your coaches and your physios are, are telling you how do you how do you have that conversation and then keep the, the players who are rotated out happy yeah it's a tough one i mean we we haven't been in bubbles like the international but we we've, we've had the covid restrictions like everyone else and testing and I remember last summer was a challenge because we didn't start till August we'd been off since March and then we had a three-week build-up you know our physios sports science were saying you've got to be really careful particularly with the bowlers workloads because it's not just for these few games if someone gets a back injury you know you could be out for a number of you know, months. So I think a lot of the research had gone in, unless you have a certain amount of prep time, that is a a real possibility. So again, it was sitting down with the bowlers, just going through, you know, what we'd spoke about as a sports staff and said, this is why we're going to have to rotate. You know, it's for for the best for the individual, but for your long-term futures as well. So again, not everyone was happy about it because you want to play every game, but we have got you know, I think a, a certain amount of, you know, looking after the well-being of the players, not just short-term thinking and trying, you know, protect people's careers as well. Well, and from a competitive point of view, I guess, as well, because you can certainly imagine that if you're thinking about it, your competitors are as as well. And you don't want to be in a situation where your frontline bowlers are more knackered than than the other team's frontline bowlers, because either, you know, the depth isn't there or you're having to play the same play people every week because people are injured. Knackle, knackle, knackle. What do you mean the depth isn't there? You've got to fill on the screen. <laughs> I mean, well, I, we uh, if COVID continues and this and this latest easing of the of restrictions has the effect that many of us think it will, then I think Phil might well be thinking, seeing himself caught up along with others from the uh, from the from the domestic leagues I understand why fans get frustrated about rotation I do understand that but also there is a there is a, a competitive element like you want your players to be at their sharpest because the oppositions you don't want your players to be less sharp than the oppositions yeah and that's why you have a squad as well you know you know teams who are successful have a, a good stable of seamers and you've got to try and keep keep them fit for the whole year so it's picking certain games certain grounds certain opposition um, but as you rightly say you need them you know, fresh as much as you can for each game. When I was the major manager at Yorkshire and you were the captain, we had a bit of a ropey season, I think, one year, didn't we? I, I did the um, programme notes for you and uh, I can remember um, waiting for you after matches, trying to think of a different way of saying, why aren't we winning these county championship matches? <laughs> um, and you were trying to think of a different way of saying, I don't know, I, I wish we were. In in your career as well, there were kind of ups and downs. You had some fantastic seasons and some lesser seasons. H- how much does that help you now as a coach that you've kind of experienced the good times and the bad times and you can maybe relate a little bit more to players? I think a hell of a lot, yeah. I think um, 
just experiencing the highs and lows. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think you can uh, relate to everyone in the in the team because you know come through the academy, a second team. I've been left out of the first team. I've been to inter- international cricket and then got dropped. Good season, bad seasons, been captain. So I've been through not just a lot of experiences, but a lot of emotions as well. So I try and you know look, look objectively at, at where a player is and see if I can relate back to how I dealt with it and whether I dealt well or badly with it. But I think I've got a pretty much an insight into you know quite a lot of different scenarios. Going to finish with that, Mark and Phil. One question each from each of you. Who wants to go first? You played uh, 2001. You played with uh, one of one of my um, my local club, Haywood. Steve Kirby came bursting into the Yorkshire side. Used to play for Haywood in the Central Lancashire League. What was Steve like to play with in that 2001 season when you won the championship? Mad. Uh, yeah, he came in... Um, like a breath of fresh air, really. I mean, it, no one knew about him. He played a couple of games in the second team. I was injured at the time, but I remember him coming to the, the ground and, you know, just a likeable lad, but he bowled superbly that, that first season. As a placid a guy off the pitch, but then once he got on with a ball in the hand, he was absolutely crazy. You know, I'd never seen anything like it. He was running down. Uh, I think he had a run-in with Mike Atherton one day in a Roses game. <laughs> he was always running down and speaking to the batsman. So, I mean... I, Fielded it slip many times to him, but just ended up laughing most of us when he were bowling. Uh, but he did, he came in and he ran down the hill at Edenley and I think Kent was one of his first games. He got six or seven for, but he, he was he was superb for us. And um, he's, he's a real character, Steve. He's obviously a bowling coach now at um, Somerset. I saw him the other week when we played the T20, so he's still on good form. He was finest, but he's an interesting guy because he, you know, he, he kind of was out of game, wasn't he, at Leicestershire? Yeah, that yeah. Was- various reasons come back in it so it shows real resilience and yeah know. and you need a bit of luck as well because I think he's probably one who who you say came in a little bit late he played for various second teams never got picked up and then the couple of injuries he come in and took his chance and never looked back so someone who came later into the professional game but made a real impact Phil last Great question from answer. you just following on from Mark's question about a, a character and, and every team needs him who, who's that character in your team today Who, who who's, who's the mouth in the field who's the person that <laughs> That, um, that, that, that turns it on for, you know, winds his own team up, but also winds the opposition up. I, d- I don't think we really have that. Well, no one's like Steve Kirby, but I don't think we really we really have that. Jamie Porter likes a word now and again. Uh, he can be quite grumpy. I would say probably Simon Armour, but he does it in a different kind of way. I mean, he's always bowling, but he's he's the one who normally gets the, the guys going. And if the captain texts him off, he's not happy. So he's always wanted to ball. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he, he must be a coach's dream, mustn't he? To, to just come on and his consistency is... I mean, even though teams are planning for him now, even this season, with everyone knows he's coming, he's still turning games around and, and, and having that influence on you. He's a dream to have in the team, isn't he? Oh, yeah. And handy with a bat, catches pigeons at slip. An unbelievable... And, and- my favourite shot of his was that four off the last ball at Middlesex uh, a few days back, oh, yeah. where, he, where he tried to pull it to Cow, and uh, but really he was working it down to a, to a third man just, just in time. Yeah, but no, he's, he's a great professional. He does everything, trains as hard as you, you'll ever see. But um, his bowling is just incredible, so consistent. Um, final point to all of you, really. I mean, Knuckle brought it up at the start. I, I reckon this this last White Bull series that England have played against Sri Lanka is one of the most one-sided White Bull series I've ever seen. This Sri Lankan side 
well off the pace at the moment. England found it so easy. I don't think that's good for cricket. You know, when you get international series like that, which are so monotonously one-sided, punters are turning up, paying their ticket prices and seeing two-thirds of a day because the match is finished because Sri Lanka haven't been good enough. Just to me, Knuckle, doesn't seem as if that has got this summer off to a very good start internationally. No, it's not ideal, but you can't always control that. And these these series are rare, you know, where they stand out because they're their rarity. I think we have been by and large blessed in international cricket in the last few years with the depth of quality growing across a number, across most teams. Um, you look at the number of bowlers um, and good fast bowlers that a lot of teams have now. You know, India have a pace attack and depth. Um, Pakistan keep producing players. South Africa, even though they keep losing players, keep producing players. New Zealand are the best they've ever been, probably. You know, even down to the, the associate nations and the lower for member nations you know Ireland gave England a run for their money for a while and gave Pakistan a run for their money Scotland have a good have a bunch of good uh, players the Netherlands are, are very strong and the I what I really I watched the the World Cup qualifier it was a fantastic and high quality tournament so I think we've we these series stand out because they're because they're rare Sri Lanka has just been a perfect storm of everything the there's only so long you can blame the loss of great players but it has been it has been a while now but the the structures aren't there domestically the players aren't being paid properly the con they're playing with that contract they lose these three players who have this covid breach they're up against a good england team that even with some of its best players missing is still too strong for them and just the tour starts badly and gets worse and worse and worse it isn't great if if that's going to be the case but i don't think it's something to make sweeping generalizations about um but it is it is something that it, it wasn't all that much fun to watch um with with the with the exception of a few standout performers as you all know i am a cricket badger and i actually got bored of that series I, I just kind of wanted it to finish. Were you the same, Mark, when you were kind of dipping in and dipping out of that that white ball series? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I kind of agree with Knuckle to a certain degree, but I think in terms of it was an awful series, and I think a lot of ODI series are, are quite poor. If I'm being honest with you, particularly 50 over cricket. But what worries me, and I was actually talking to somebody at the game about this today, is that you know unless Sri Lanka get a more proliferant. The structure's out there in these countries, in Sri Lanka, West Indies and so forth. And you can just see a, a, just a deterioration of the standard and a kind of a, a gap building between well-resourced countries and obviously less well-resourced countries and more in the past. And it really does worry me about you know the future of the game when that happens. I mean, the other thing that does worry me in terms of what you're saying there, James, not just about one-day services, but things that have been happening over the last 15, 20 years is test series. I mean, we, we've got duke balls and what have you. You know, the pitches, home and away for test series, are, you know, they, they're just becoming too far too home-orientated. The test matches in India, you know, they spun too much over here, they seem too much. There needs to be some evening out of it, else even test series are going to become boring because unless you're an exceptional side, you're going to lose if you go to India. You're going to lose if you go to Australia. You're going to lose if you come to England. You know, it's, it's not good for cricket. You need better pitches for test matches. But certainly the structures for Western Indies and, and Sri Lanka is very poor. And this series, by far, was exceptionally poor. Phil, did you watch any any of the uh, Sri Lanka series? I did. Um, it was hard to stay engaged in. And I think the problem with that is when it comes to, I, I suppose, sponsors and you know brands, whenever people wanting to buy the cricket so that we can watch it, I can't imagine series like that are going to be especially popular to sell in the future. My principal concern with it, apart from the effect on the Sri, Lank- the Sri Lankan players that you know can't really, I know, I know you learn more from losing than you do from winning, I suspect, but getting absolutely crushed, I don't think does anybody any good. Um, but my worry is it inflates the impression of the England team uh, and, you, and, and suddenly, you know, 
picking up fifers against a Sri Lankan team and that not necessarily being an indicator of or, 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 or perhaps the, um, the the value of that fifer might not be the same as a fifer against um, the, you know uh, India in a few weeks' time. The mark yeah. of how far England have come with a white ball team that people are now concerned that they're not winning entertainingly enough or, yeah. or winning in a... We want to see competitive cricket, don't we? I mean, Max, I mean, when, when you're... I was actually just Googling your test match stats there um, because your test match stats for somebody that hasn't played since averaging over 40 um, and you, you picked up wickets as well there are plenty of people that would like those figures at the moment in the England <laughs> test team but um, when, when you get one-sided games I mean as, as, a, as, a, as a punter myself when I'm watching cricket matches I obviously want my team to win but I also want it to be a competitive match so you see some really good cricket and it's hopefully dramatic that series against Sri Lanka really wasn't was it? No I mean I didn't see much of it on the highlights because we were playing but there's two sides to it as a coach you just want to win and win easily I mean the England team will be delighted you know you one-sided you kind of put the scars into the opposition as well for when you play again um, so England won't care a jot really um, but I do get what you're saying you, you do want games to be competitive but- because we we're, we're competing against other sports as well on TV. You want cricket to be a good spectacle. You want people coming and enjoying the skill level from both teams. And, and Owen Morgan strikes me as somebody that wants to actually learn lessons as he goes through. And England, I can't see England have really taken too many lessons from the series against Sri Lanka. No, maybe not. But I mean, we are a very good white ball team. Now, it wasn't too long ago. We beat Australia 5-0. And I think that series were one of the most one-sided I've ever seen when Justin Langer first took over. England, you know, obviously World Cup holders, They've, they've got a, you know a squad of players who they can change the team and, and win and do some serious damage so I think yes it, it's not great one-sided but we've got to appreciate what players we've got at the moment especially in that form of the game When, when I was searching for your uh Crick Info page I put in Phil Law by accident because he was speaking at the time and uh, you haven't got a Crick Info page Phil at the minute but there's only a matter of time by the sounds of it but your test Under record construction <laughs> your test record uh, Mags averaging 40.2 with the bat averaging um, 14 with the ball that's not too bad you should have this isn't a question by the way you should have played more test matches for England because you were better in the period after you played for England than you were actually probably in the period before well, it so well, allow uh, me to phrase that as a question this was just at the time I mean, the Hussein and I'm, I'm, try, I'm and trying to wrap up now. <laughs> just say, carry, do, carry on. <laughs> do you think you might have played more Test cricket in an era where selection wasn't quite as we were coming out of the real bad knee-jerk phase of the '90s? But do you think you and other players might have played more in, a, in an era that wasn't quite so knee-jerk? Potentially, yeah. I mean, you just never know, do you? I mean, it, it was definitely changing then because central contracts were coming in. <laughs> Selection—it's all about opinions, isn't it? So, yeah, I mean, you know, I wanted to obviously play more, but the selectors at the time didn't think um, that was the case. So um, there's not really much you can do about it. Mags, we always finish the uh, podcast with a question for the guest next week. And our guest next week, Roman Walker, young Glamorgan player, is going to be our guest next week. And it's going to actually be quite nice, I think, on the the County podcast to get a youngster on and to hear his opinions on the game. Your last task is to leave him a question. Well, we we played against Glamorgan our last game and he opened the bowling. Um, so, oh, so, so you're more than aware of him then? Yes, no, absolutely. What have I got for him? Can be as nasty or as, as nice as you no, want. <laughs> I think for, for the young players now, because it does interest me, his, his ambition really going forward, is he really looking to get in the 100, the 2020, or, or is he wanting to be you know, a test match player? What, what, what's his favourite game, the white ball or the red ball? 
I'll uh, write that down and we will ask Roman Walker that next week. It'd be nice actually to get somebody from Glamorgan on. We've done God, hundreds and hundreds of these Cricket Badger podcasts. Never had a Glamorgan player on yet. So uh, Roman will be the uh, first one from uh, the Welsh County. Um, Knackle Panday and the Fan Badges, as always, thank you very much indeed for your sterling efforts this week. Knackle, thank you. Cheers, James. And uh, cheers to Phil. Thanks, mate. And uh, Mark, you uh, reclined there. You, I've, I've seen you. When, when you got up, you went to fill your glass again, didn't you? Celebrating Gene Anderson's uh, success today with him. So, a few glasses tonight. A few glasses of red. It has to be red, doesn't it, in, the, in that part of the world. And uh, finally, Mags, very good to see you again, mate. And uh, good luck for the rest of the season. And really good to have you back on the Cricket Badger podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, guys. And uh, thank you out there, everybody, for listening as well. As I say, yeah, it's going to be Roman Walker, the Glamorgan youngster, on the podcast next week. Um, so, stay tuned for that. So, get your questions in for him on the at cricket underscore badger Twitter feed if you want to as well. And uh, we'll see you next time. Podcast Network.